Alrighty, I encourage you to grab a Bible and turn to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11, if you don't have a Bible, it's probably a red one right in front of you. Uh, it's in the New Testament, kind of the latter half of the book. The passage is on the screen as well as your handout. So as you're turning there, just a, a couple of quick things. First of all, I just encourage you to come back this evening at 5.30. We have kind of our, a prayer gathering where we just gather together and sing, and we have some specific things we wanna pray and so we do this at least twice a year, sometimes a little bit more, usually kind of like beginning stages in January and then usually kind of in the beginning of the fall. And so just encourage you to come back. We usually try to keep that to an hour because we do do childcare for five and under and we wanna honor those childcare workers and um, you know, get their children, get our children, not their children, <laughs> obviously. Uh, so yeah, if you can come back and be with us, it's gonna be a good time together. Secondly, uh, if this is your first time or maybe you've been checking out Sojourn for a few weeks, and you just kind of like to learn a little bit more about who we are, or maybe meet some of the leadership here. Uh, every once in a while, about once every other month, we do a little thing called Sojourn in 10, which is kind of a 10-minute introduction to Sojourn. And so we do that immediately following the service, and it's out in the connect rooms. If you walk out these doors, you turn right, and there'll be some people in there uh, that'll greet you. And so the, the reality is, is what we're talking about this morning is kind of like Sojourn in 40, right? So, because that's kind of what we're talking about, but you get a little bit more of a minier version in the connect room. And so, uh, so yeah, that's where we're going today. If you've just been joining us the first couple of weeks of the year, we always kind of do a, 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 a series of just kind of on word and prayer, just talking about our own formation, our own growth and the, the necessity for that. And then I just want to spend today before we jump back in the book of Acts, kind of going back to a passage we didn't get a chance to jump into and dive into and, and just talk about who we are. Like, what are we about here at Sojourn Community Church? And not that we're trying to be this church in Antioch that we'll see in chapter 11. And yeah, we got a light that's kind of blinking off and on, who knows? So here in a second, we might just kind of dance, just kind of go with the strobe light. I don't know, but uh, so just bear with us. I love this building. Wonderful, wonderful gift sometimes. Um, but we want to pull out, not to like we're trying to mimic the church of Antioch, but we're trying to say, okay, like what is here that we want to be about? Not only what we see in chapter 11, but where we see all throughout the Bible. And so that's kind of where we're going this morning. And yeah, we planned this morning a little longer. So yeah, I'm getting up here a little later and that's okay. So we're just gonna go for it, all right? I, I, I try to keep things concise and so I promise I won't ramble, but we're gonna go for it. Might be going a, somewhat past 12 today, amen? So I know we're gonna get hungry. Maybe that's not a good amen. Nobody's gonna respond amen to that. It's like, most of us going, seriously? Yeah, seriously, let's go, all right? We, we can do this. All right, let's stand together in honor of reading God's word. Acts chapter 11, starting in verse 19 and reading down to the end of the chapter, verse 30. So hear the word of the Lord. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. And some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. And the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Now news of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and so they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all of their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. And then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And so for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. And during this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and through the spirit predicted a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. And this happened during the reign of Claudius. And the disciples, each according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, like we say every morning when we gather together, God, help us to understand what you're saying in the Bible. Lord, without your spirit's help, we're just reading words on a piece of paper. We don't get it. We don't understand it. We don't see what's happening here. And so, Lord, we need your help, and so we're asking for that this morning. We are a listening body. So Lord, speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. 
So as you're taking a seat, uh, grab your little handout or your bulletin and encourage you to go to the back cover. Uh, most of us in this room, if you've kind of been at church for a while or been with us for a while, you probably hardly ever read the back cover. If you're new here, you probably may have read the entire thing, which is awesome. That's kind of what you do. You want to kind of find out all kinds of information. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but the very, very bottom on the back here in the gold lettering is a sentence that talks about our kind of mission statement, why we exist. And that sentence reads, we exist to reach people with the gospel, build them up as a church and release them, or a better word that I would like to use, send them into the world. So we kind of you know, break this down with three words, reach, build, release. Why does Sojourn Community Church exist? We exist, we're here to reach people with the gospel, build them up as a church and send them out into the world. Now, I have a, a love-hate relationship with mission statements. It's kind of like job descriptions for me, right? I have a love-hate relationship with job descriptions. I think they're important. Job descriptions need those, but none of us, if you've been at your company and your work and your organization for a long time, you don't bust out your job description tomorrow morning because I don't know what I'm doing. Like, what am I supposed to be doing? I gotta get my job description out and see what I gotta be. No, you don't, it just kind of becomes you, right? It kind of embodies you. You just, you show up to work and you know what you gotta be doing. I don't need a job description to tell me what I'm doing or what I need to be doing. Well, I kind of have the same thing with, uh, you know, mission statements. Yes, they're important. We have one, we need one, we use it to, I use it to evaluate programming. I use it to kind of like determine what initiatives we need to start in. I, I use it to kind of help us see where we're weak at, where we're strong at. I use it in, in budgeting, we use it in staffing. All like a mission statement is hugely important. The problem with the state, mission statement and the thing that kind of like, uh, maybe I don't hate is that it doesn't really embody you right? Like, you know, maybe you've done this. And if you have, maybe we'll just call you the super Christian today, right? None of us probably have taken our bulletin home and got up on Monday morning and meditated on that gold little sentence at the bottom. We're here to reach people with the gospel, build them up at this church and release them into the world. Like no one does that. Like we kind of have a mindset that that's Lyle's deal, right? That's kind of like the church thing deal. And what I wanna say is this, and we all agree with this. If you don't, we can have a conversation later, but all of us agree that the church is not a building. It's not a facility. It's not something we go to. The church is a people, right? And so if this is the mission statement of the church, then this is the mission statement for you because you are the church. And what I wanna help us with is not to kind of reword the statement, not to change the statement, but I wanna help us embody the statement. Like, I don't want just the mission statement on the back of our bulletin or out in the atrium. We don't have it out in the atrium, but if we would have it in the atrium, that's not what I'm after. Like, I could care less if it's on the back of the bulletin or if it's out on the walls or if it's printed somewhere. I could care less about that. I want it to embody you. And so to kind of do that, I, I wanna pull out a little bit of Acts chapter 11 and sort of give um, wheels, so to speak, to our statement. To where you can walk out of here and say, look, this is not only why we exist as a church, but this is why I exist. This is why I'm on planet earth. Now notice, you'll notice here in Acts 11, you'll see this, you see this not only in chapter 11, but you see this all throughout the book of Acts. There's a kind of a singular focus, a singular mindset, a singular agenda that this church is about, as well as all the churches in the book of Acts are about. And you see this in verses 19 and 20. So they, you know, I'm not gonna read all this yet because I'm gonna come back to it, but notice in verse 19, there's a, there's a persecution and as the, the people are scattering, they're doing what? What are they doing? They're telling the message, the message. You go down to verse 20 and some go up to Antioch and what are they doing? They're telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. So right here from the start, we see that there is a singular focus. There's a singular agenda that this church and the church in the book of Acts and we as a church are about one thing. And that one thing is the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel. It's the good news of what God has done through Jesus in order to accomplish our total salvation. It's not what you have to do. It's a message that is good because of what has already been done. 
what God has done through Jesus. That is what this church is about in Antioch, and that is what the churches are about in Acts. And guess what? That is what we are about here at Sojourn Community Church. We are not about fads. We're not. We're not about trying to be cool. I know that's kind of the reputation of Sojourn Community Church. They're a cool church. Follow me around. I'm not cool, right? (laughs) Not. And we're not trying to be cool. We're not trying to be edgy. We're not trying to, you know, sport the flannels every single week because we get stuck in flannels or something like that. Like, we're not about essential oils. I mean, I love those, but we're not about essential oils. We're not about beards. Yes, we got people around here that can grow some amazing beards. I cannot. I'm beard envy, whatever you want to call that, but we're not about beards. We're not about Whole30. We're not about natural stuff. There's nothing wrong with all of these things, but that's not what we're about. We are about one name, and that name is not Lyle. It's not. Yes, I spell my name weird. Call me Lissel, Lysol, Leslie, whatever it is, but we're not about that name. And Gus, you probably do not know this, but I work hard at tearing down the pedestal that you put me on. I try to come every single Sunday with a baseball bat in my mind going, I'm trying to tear down the image that you have of me, that you naturally drift toward. Because I'm a man, I'm a human being that sins, that has a great need for a savior and his name is Jesus, just like every single one of us in this room. Look, we're, we're not about the name Lyle. We're not about the name Sojourn, even though I like that name. Like, I'm thankful that Daniel Montgomery decided to call this place Sojourn Community Church because it does speak to our existence here on this earth. We're sojourners. But at the same time, we're not about that name. That's not it. I'm not about spreading Sojourn, that name, all throughout this community. That's not my goal. It's not my desire. We're not about the name conservative, charismatic, missional, community, preaching, expository, whatever the heck that means for crying out loud. We are not about any of these churchy names that sort of gets birth in church subculture. We are about one name and that one name is Jesus, period. And whenever, look, whenever we stop being about that name, then we no longer are a church. We're just an organization that's meeting and I don't know what we're doing. That's wasting my time and I'm out, right? Because Jesus is about his church. Jesus loves his church by far more than I could ever love it. Jesus sacrificed his life for the church. It was Jesus' idea, the church. He is all about the church. So therefore, his church is gonna be all about him. That's our singular focus. That's our singular message. That's our singular agenda. We are a church that's about the name of Jesus. Now, now, now what do we do with this? So for a church that's about the name of Jesus, then okay, what, what do we do with this message, the content with Jesus? And we see here, and this is where we kind of make the connections to our mission statement, and we see this in chapter 11 here. This is what we do with it. We get it out and we get it in. We get the message of Christ out and we get the message of Christ in. The same message that we get out is the same message that we work to get in our lives. And so if you wanna make connections to our mission statement, in case you really love our mission statement, getting it out is all about reaching and sending or reaching and releasing. Getting it in is all about building you up as a church. Now, where do you see this? And I I feel like that hopefully, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but hopefully that helps you a little bit, kind of put some wheels. So what am I here for? What am I to be about as a follower of Jesus Christ? Here you go. You're to get it out. You're to get the message of Christ out and you're to get the message of Jesus in. That's it. I mean, maybe I've kind of reduced it way too much, but that's okay. I like keeping things simple, amen? Get it out. Get it in. Let's talk about get it out. Look at verse 19 here. Now those who have been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia. And so I'm not gonna really unpack this too much, but basically if you've been traveling with us in the book of Acts, 
The church in Jerusalem started, it exploded. God sent a persecution through a man primarily named Saul. And then what is happening there is that it's now scattering the church. They have to leave. Some stayed and others left. Now it's interesting what these people are doing as they're leaving Jerusalem. I love this. Uh, so they went for, as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch. And what were they doing? Telling the message only to Jews at this time. They were getting the message out. Verse 20, some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to do what? Speak to the Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. I, I love this. Don't miss the obvious. As God sent a persecution on the church, the church is scattering, and what are they doing? They are instinctively telling others about the good news of Jesus. Why? We've said this before. When something extraordinary happens to you, you can't help but tell the experience, and that is what's going on here. Instinctively, they didn't go through some training program. It wasn't like there's a strategic plan on how we're gonna get the gospel to the Antiochs people, right? It's not like they gathered in a room and said, okay, let's figure this out, man. We got, no, no, God sent a persecution and these people scattered and they were just doing what came instinctively. They were telling other people about Jesus. Yeah, I get it. It freaks a lot of us out. I'm just trying to work with me here, right? So don't, don't lose me on this whole issue. But that's what they're doing naturally. I love it that they don't even mention one name, do they? We have no names in here except for Saul and Barnabas. But as far as who are the people that took the gospel to Antioch? Nobody. We have no idea who they are. Isn't that great? Because it isn't like they strategically, once again, plan this, okay, who's, who's really good at communicating? All right, we're gonna send you and you. You're horrible. You're staying back in Jerusalem. Deal with it, right? <laughs> who's got the smarts? And then this is a large city. It's the third largest city in the Roman Empire. You kind of think Chicago and our culture here. Who's got the edgy, smart, urban mindset where they can go and, all right, yeah, you, no, not you. You're staying back. You know what I'm saying? That's not what happened here. They're just normal, regular people like you and me who have received Christ, been empowered by the Spirit, and as they scatter, they just share. They talk about Jesus. And as they talk about Jesus, a church is birthed in Antioch. I love that. I mean, I love also, you'll notice that there's kind of a little bit of a change, sort of a nuance that happens here in verse 20. So it's not a change in the message, but it is a change in their approach. Because when they spoke to Jews about Jesus, they emphasized the Messiah. Now they're going to Greeks and Gentiles, and they don't have a clue what the Messiah deal is, but they do understand what Lord is. If you'll notice there in verse 20, they go and share this good news about Lord Jesus. Lord was a familiar term in religious culture of Antioch in that time, where many searched for Lord and Savior who would guarantee them salvation and life after death. And so they took that understanding, didn't change the message, but it did change their approach. Why? Why did they do that? Because their goal wasn't to check off a box that I got the message out. Because if your goal is to just check off a box, then all you're doing is serving yourself. You're not giving a rip about them, right? But they wanted to make sure there were no barriers from them hearing and receiving the gospel. So then therefore, we're not changing the message, but I am gonna change my approach. So go from Messiah to now I'm gonna kind of emphasize Lord. Now look, look, most of us are here that are, if you're a church person, you're going, okay, yeah, yeah, I, I've heard this before. I think you preached on a sermon about this a few weeks ago, Law. Are you just kind of redoing stuff? What's going on? Like, give us something new. Give us something fresh here, right? I, like, I've listened to podcasts. I've read books about this. Blah, blah, blah. Let's just move on. Like, no, 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 no. We can't move on, right? I don't know if, if you're anything like me. Like, life begins to happen. You got, you know, school things. You got to take kids to basketball, soccer, changing diapers, you know, doing car van, whatever. All life just be your car van. What's the heck's car van? I don't know. But you know what I'm talking Van pulling, whatever it is. Car pulling. I don't know what you know what I'm talking about. But here's the deal. We just start functioning like everyone else functions in this world. And we forget, I do, that the reason why I've been rescued 
The reason why I'm empowered by the Spirit, the reason why I exist as a Christian on planet Earth is to get this message out. I'm a carrier of the name of Jesus. You're an ambassador for the name of Christ. Why are you on planet Earth? You are here to get the message of Jesus out. Why do we exist as Sojourn Community Church? Why? Why are we here? We are here to get the message out. We are here for those who are not here yet, not just for those that are already here. Are you following me? Like we exist for the neighbors that are moving in all throughout our city here who do not know Jesus. That's why we're here. And if you're anything like me, man, I need to be poked, I need to be prodded, and I need to be reminded that that's why I exist. Tim Keller, great writer, probably a mentor from afar because I've never met him, read a lot of his books and hugely influential in our church, uh, has this to say, and just, you know, statements are what kind of change you, not, not books, they do, because God's word changes you. But you know what I'm saying? Like, it's usually statements and sentences that kind of grab you in books. But look at what he says here. Mission and witness are not aspects of our existence as church, but we exist to be witnesses. You get the nuance there? Mission and witness are not aspects of our existence as the church. We exist to be witnesses. Christopher Wright, who's wrote a ton on this issue of mission of God, wrote an enormous book here uh, several years ago that kind of talks about the storyline of the Bible and about the mission of God. He has this to say in Just good things for me to be reminded. Mission was not made for the church. The church was made for mission. So mission was not made for the church, but the church was created for God's mission. He goes on to say this, to say missional church, which is kind of language that's in Christian subculture from, I don't think it's as huge, but it was at one time. So if you're not a Christian, just kind of like take a nap. To say missional church is like saying female women. Thanks for laughing a little bit. I'll do it again, all right? When I get to female women, laugh really good. To say missional church is like saying female women, right? Thank you. If it isn't female, it isn't a woman. If it isn't mission, it isn't the church. Because that's why we're here. That's why we exist. Like, guys, it, it dictates a lot of what we do and the, the, the expressions of our church and gathering on Sundays and what we do in groups. Like there's a lot of intentionality in what we do here every time we gather on Sundays and we have audiences in mind. We don't center our service around an unbeliever or not a person that's not a Christian. No, we have three audiences that we keep in mind every single Sunday when we plan our worship, our gathering here. Obviously God is a huge person as the body comes together and dwelt by the spirit of God, God's present. But so are Christians and so are those that are not Christians, the watching world. And all three of those audiences we have in mind as we plan our services. That's why I, like we, we try to be very intentional that we don't use insider language, that as a way of alienate people or or use, you know, speak in such a way to where we're not respecting and honoring values and views of another person who may not have my views and values. Like there are times up here, guys, and you know, I try to confess and repent when I do stupid things. And, you know, last week, you know, there's a lot that I, that I don't have in my notes that comes to my head. And I've got like a millisecond to determine whether should I say that, should I say it? And nine times out of 10, I say it. And nine times out of 10, I wish I wouldn't have, right? It's like, <laughs> you think I would learn. I've been at this for 20 some years. Like, all right, come on now. But you know, last week I did, I made, a, made just kind of like a goofy comment toward Career Journal. And like, that just wasn't helpful. It, it was tribal language, so to speak. And so I don't, I don't know who's it here every week, but there's a good chance that somebody works for Career Journal. And I, I just said something that didn't help at all and actually possibly could be a barrier for them hearing the gospel. I'm sorry for doing that. And we work hard and making sure that the thing that people are offended by is not my values and views, but the gospel of Jesus. 
Because I want to get it out. I want to get it out. It drives a lot of what we do in groups. It, it does. Like we have a very strategic plan of planting new groups in areas that we want to reach new people. And guys, that creates a lot of tension for me because I, dude, I want to go deep. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I want to dive in. Jump in. Let's go deep together. I love it, you know? And going deep takes time and presence. And I've heard this because I've been here six years, sat down with a lot of you guys. Some people have left. And they said, look, man, we, we, we switched into a new group. And as soon as we got in this new group, it's packed. And they're already talking about multiplication. And I'm just discouraged. And I just decided not to go anymore. And so like, like I just want to say this, hear me. Like I realized that tension of wanting to go deep. But at the same time, we have a missional command to get the gospel out. And it's not a tension that we can resolve and, and, and figure out. No, it's a tension that we as a church continue to manage and work with. But part of the, the thrust of group life is not just to get you relationally connected, but to plant you in communities where there's no gospel witness. That's what we wanna do. And because like, if we lose sight of this, then why are we here? What are we doing? I don't want to be another Costco club where people just kind of come and do the deal, get their goods, and we're out of here. Live. No, I, like, I want to run our race really well. I want to be faithful here, and I want to get the gospel out. If you look at Luke chapter 15, one of the things that, that Jesus over and over tried to do as he was in his public ministry for three and a half years is it's continuing to kind of tear down the paradigms that people had about the Father. I did. Like, he's, like everybody had their own ideas of who God was and, and what is he about and what he's like. And for three and a half years, like he is just trying to destroy everybody's paradigm of God and rebuild a whole new one. And so if you're new here or not a Christian here and you wanna know who God is or what he's like, then read the Gospels because that's God in the flesh walking on this earth. And it's interesting in Luke chapter 15, he speaks kind of these three parables and he's trying to communicate to both those that are outside of Jesus or kind of called sinners and tax collectors and those that we call religious leaders. He's trying to speak a message to them. And in this, this chapter, you hear about the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son. And in that, you hear the father's heart, the father's heartbeat for the lost. Coin, shepherd, son. You begin to see that what is the father about? Not that he's not about the safe and the connected and those are already in Christ, but there is a bent toward those who are lost, so much so that he's willing to leave the 99 that are safe and secure to go after the one, the one. And so like, it, it makes me ask hard questions toward my own heart and ask questions about our church. Like, are we just good with the 99? Because the danger in any church, as long as it's been in existence, especially as it grows, like you can just feel like, hey, we're full. Oh, this is nice. Man, I like this. It's cool. I'm in this, right? And we get comfortable with us and we find ourselves going very insular and toward ourselves and we get good with the 99 and there's the one. And the Father's heart is going after the one. And I wanna make sure that our church reflects the heart of the Father because the church is the body of Jesus. So in light of that, like, look, look, I'm talking to those that are Christians right now. Like, here's, here's, my, here's my encouragement for you to think on in light of just getting it out, the message in Luke 15, all this. Who's your one? Who's your one? Like, can I encourage us just to do one thing with your one? That sounds kind of weird, but you know what I'm saying? Here's what I want to encourage you to do for the next 52 or what are we in week 50, week four, whatever it is. So the next weeks through the end of the year, I just encourage you to just do this. Pray for your one by name. That's it. Don't feel all this pressure. Oh, I got to manipulate the conversation to get to Jesus because I got to get it out. I got to check that box off. Oh, oh, I'm feeling kind of weird now because I'm praying for you. No, just take all the stinking pressure off. Just be you. And consistently pray for your one over the course of this year. And guys, I'm, I'm here to tell you, God's gonna do something through your consistent prayer for that one person. He'll move, he'll work, he'll open doors.
Who's your one? So yeah, we're here. We exist. Get it out, all right? Get it out. And then secondly, quickly, we also are to get it in. So same message that we get out is the same message that we get in. And, and you see this here, all right? Go with me here. Look at verse 22. So news of this, about this explosion, growth, crazy stuff going on in Antioch that came to Jerusalem. And so they sent Barnabas to Antioch. So just, they're just trying to check it out, make sure this is legit and, and not crazy stuff going on there. So, so they send Barnabas to kind of check this thing out. And then verse 23, when he arrived, he saw the evidence of the grace of God. And I'm gonna come back to that in just a minute. And he, talking about Barnabas, was glad and encouraged so that word can also be exhorted, taught, encouraged, exhorted them all to remain true to the Lord with all of their hearts. And he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith and great number of people. There's a success to his ministry and his work that he was doing there in Antioch. Then verse 25 says this, then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Why? That's weird. You're doing a work there. Why are you going to the Tarsus to look for Saul? Well, he goes on and explains in verse 26. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch so for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. So look, look. So not only are we to get this message out, but we're also to get this message in. And we see that Barnabas and Saul didn't just show up and say, hey, good job, we're out of here. No, these are brand new Christians. And they are compelled to say, okay, look, it's not just about getting it out. I wanna... Get it in you. And so you gotta ask the question, well, what did they teach? How do you know that the message they're getting out is also the message they're getting in? Where do you get that? Because I don't see it in Luke, Lyle. Luke didn't tell us what they taught. Well, you gotta kind of like use other texts to show you what they taught. And if you go to 1 Corinthians, you would see what is Paul always talking about? Look at chapter one, verse 22. He says this, Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we, what do we do? We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. First Corinthians chapter two, skip down a little bit. You see the same thing. For I, talking about Paul, resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So what's the content of their message that's getting in? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. We never move beyond this. There's not a deeper level. There's not like, okay, this is Christianity 101, you know, freshman Christianity. Now this is the deep stuff. No, what you share out is also the same message you get in. Some of you may have grew up in a church and I'm not trying to say this is wrong or bad. I'm just, just bear with me. All right, some of you may have grew up in a church that's similar to an experience that I had one time going to kind of like a, a Christian gathering when I was a student guy and, and there was a, a speaker that came up and I think his subject was about honesty, kind of looking at Proverbs and talking about how important honesty is, blah, blah, blah. He gets to the end of his deal, end of his deal. Doesn't necessarily mention Jesus all throughout his sermon, but at the end of his deal, he says, I want everybody to bow their heads, close your eyes. If you wanna say yes to Jesus today because you wanna escape hell and go to heaven, raise your hand and we're gonna pray a prayer. I'm not saying that's bad. It's just a real reduced understanding of the gospel. Yes, yes, thank God. We get to escape hell. We believe in a literal hell. And we get to spend eternity in the new heavens and the new earth because of what Jesus has done. But listen to me, that's not the point of the gospel. It's a part of the gospel, but it's not the whole. What the gospel wants you to do is there's life not only after death, but life before death. The gospel comes and shows you a whole new way of living. Listen to me. The reason why you come to Jesus is not to escape hell and go to heaven. It's because you're done living life like you've been living it. And there's a whole new way. There's a better way to live for crying out loud. And Jesus wants you to live in this new way. And it doesn't come automatically. You gotta get it taught in you. So the same message we get out is also the same message that we get in. Now, some of you may be sitting here going like, well, how do we get that message in? Well, that was the first two Sundays, okay? <laughs> so if you weren't here the last two Sundays, I just get online and listen to them, all right? Because that is a part of how we get that message in. What I wanna show just briefly here is the evidence that this gospel was getting in this group of people. There's three. 
I'm gonna spend more time on number three, so I'm gonna work through these really fast. All right, so kind of buckle your seatbelts. So the first place that we see the gospel working in someone is in Barnabas. Even though he's not necessarily a part of the church in Antioch, but he's, he's transplanted there for a couple years. And it's interesting, you can see the work of the gospel in Barnabas by how? By sending for Saul. So here's a guy, bear with me, here's a guy who is not envying someone's gifts He's actually celebrating them. So why in the world would Barnabas go and send for Saul? Because he's recognizing the limits of his gifting. And he knows that Saul is able to come and step into this kind of current context and do more than what I can do. And so instead of him saying, I'm gonna keep building my own deal here because God is sort of blessing it. No, he sees that there is a limit to what he can do and he is safe and secure in Jesus to where he can celebrate someone's gifts and goes after Saul and say, come on, you can do better than I am. I don't know about you, but I got a lot of work here, right? I'm not done here. Like, I don't know if you're like this, but like full confession, like I, I want people that are more gifted than me to just kind of, you know, blow up, destroy, have a train wreck in their life, right? Like I'm not there yet to where I celebrate down the road when I see other churches exploding and doing a neat work. I find myself envying more than celebrating. And what's the solution? You get the message of Jesus more in you and you find that you're safe and secure in Christ and I don't have to prove myself that man, I can celebrate all kinds of gifts that are way better than mine and not envy them. That's what you see with Barnabas. The second one there quickly here is, is the, the sacrificial generosity that we see with this church. If you remember, I read that at the end of that chapter. There was a need, a famine went on. There was a need in, in the church in Judea. And so they called out for this, you know, meet this need. And these are people they don't even know. They don't have a clue who they are. They've never met most of these people, but they gave according to what they could, like what they had. And there was a sacrifice to where they were able to bless this church in Judea. And I would argue that that's evidence of the gospel getting in someone when they begin to do this with their stuff. Like when you get the generosity of God and what he's done for you in Christ, it doesn't make you do this. Oh, I gotta keep things tight. No, it, it opens you to where I want to give and give more. I want to reflect the generosity of my God, my father, I want that to be reflected in me. So the more the gospel gets in me, it's not that I keep getting more greedy. No, I become more and more generous. And that's why my, my, I'm so encouraged by what you guys did. I am. It's an evidence of the grace of God in you. When I come to you and say, you don't even know you know, Diana Cahill, you don't even know, most of you didn't know what ALC was and whatever it is. And like, we just made a call. Here's a need. We need 35 car seats. And you guys brought 51. Praise God. That isn't praising us. It's praising the grace of God that's evident in your life because the more it gets in here, the more open-handed you are with your stuff. And then the last one is this, and I, I promise I'll be brief here. I have an evidence that this gospel is getting in them. It's in verse 26. It's really cool what happens here. Look what they say. The disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Interesting, isn't it? The disciples were called. So that means this. They didn't come up with this, right? It wasn't like, this church in Antioch got together and go, you know, we need to edge your name. You know, it's like, this isn't working for us. You know, I've, I've read a book and if you get an edgy name, you track people, right? So we need to, thanks for laughing a little bit about that. It's supposed to be kind of a joke, but no, that's not what happened here. Actually, the people that are outside of the church who were not Christians looked at this group of people and they were the ones that called them Christians. Now, why? Why did they do that? Well, some of it was to bring an insult. It was. Some of it was a little bit of a backhanded kind of slander and, and making fun of them a little bit. But at the same time, this nickname that those outside the church gave this group was sort of a, a spark of respect because this, this word means Christ party. 
belonging to Jesus, Christ people, because what they are seeing for the very first time in history is that the gospel of Jesus is coming and it's crossing all kinds of barriers, cultural, social, racial, economic, whatever it is. And all these people in the city of Antioch that used to be divided based on their culture and race and all that are now coming together. And they're worshiping together. They're high-fiving together. They're eating together. They're going and seeing movies together. They're talking about Jesus together. Like, like this is what's going on in this community. And those that are outside of Christ are going, I don't know what to call this. This is not a Jewish thing. This ain't a Gentile thing. This ain't no Greek thing. I don't know what to call this. So we're gonna come up with a new word. And that new word is Christians. And what you see Like, I know I'm speculating a little bit, but as you read the rest of the New Testament, you kind of see that this Antioch church was, boy, there's a lot of mess going on here. But what you see as the gospel gets in you, it's gonna cause you to have to defer and humble yourself before one another. It's gonna cause you to sacrifice your taste, your preferences, because you have a commitment to Christ and a commitment relationally to one another. Play this out. I guess there there are people coming together in this church that are not circumcised. And I know it's not a big deal to us. And I know I just probably, if you've got any young kids in here, you're gonna have an interesting conversation on the way home. But but here's here's the deal. Look, 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 here's the deal. Like there are people coming together and they're going, What you're not circumcised? Like that's a big deal. Whoa, 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 hold on, man. You know, conversation, argument. Okay, I'm done. I'm out of here. I heard there, you got a church starting down the road called the, the Circumcised Community Church. I'm going there, right? No longer hanging out with you guys. I'm done with this, right? Oh, whoa, whoa, you don't, you don't wash your hands before you eat? Like, that's a big deal. Oh, don't you know about all laws that you, you know, if you don't wash your hands, you can put dirty stuff. And what, what, what are you talking about? And uh, I'm done. I'm out of here. I think there's a church down the road that washes their hands before they eat, Community Church. I'm there. They're my people. They're my tribe, Right? Like, I know I'm being kind of silly and goofy, but it's almost like God was forcing them, forcing them to sacrifice, figure out what are preferences and what is a commitment to Christ and a commitment relationally to one another that we're gonna hold tight to and I'm gonna learn what are preferences I'm gonna let go and I'm gonna learn how to defer and humble myself before one another because as the gospel gets in you, this is the end product of that. Like, guys, I'm, I'm telling you, I think that's what Jesus was after when he, when he told his disciples, they, talking about those that are outside of Jesus, that are looking in, they will know me by your love for one another. And where, where is love most fully, not, not fully, I'm sorry, Where is love most displayed in a married couple? Where is it most displayed? Where does it it move you the most? Is it at wedding day? I mean, yeah, that's a beautiful thing. We love it. We get a little fuzzy feelings. And that young couple, they love each other. And if you've been married for 20 or 30 years, you're going, ah, welcome to the jungle, right? (laughs) You know what's coming, but you don't tell them that. It's like, oh, it's awesome. Love it. Well, you know. But, but look, look, yeah, there's a display of love there, but there's a more moving display of love when a wife is at the bedside of a husband who has a dilapidating disease and she's been there for years. Why is that so moving? Because of the sacrifice. Look, don't take me too far here, Okay. All right, just wanna kind of preface that. How can a community witness the love amongst us when a lot of us, not just in this church, but in churches that spread all across the city, push eject button really quickly because their preference, their taste, their desires are ignored. Now, it doesn't mean you don't have preference or taste or desires, I just would make an argument that as the gospel works its way in you, you're deferring a lot and you're realizing that those desires and interest and taste no longer have to be catered to. That there's a stronger commitment to Christ 
and a commitment to you, my brother and sister in Christ, that has a way of superseding and trumping these different agendas and preferences and desires. I guess, like I, I've grown up here all my life, except for a, a few years when I was in that horrible state of Ohio, but I met my wife, <laughs> which I'm thankful for, all right? It's very flat, cold, and windy. A lot of good memories because of my wife, not because of Ohio, all right? But I came back to the promised land, amen? <laughs> and, and the thing that we see, even in our area, is God has been so gracious to us that, that we have a lot of good churches here all over the place. And I wanna celebrate that because the more churches we have, the more people we can reach. But there's also kind of a curse to that, is that we have something that the early church never had. We have kind of like an escape. If I get angry, I get frustrated, I get done with something here, wow, they're, they're not doing my agenda, they're not doing my thing, they always ignore this, they play the guitar solo way too long, and you know, that, that, he's, he's way too much, he sweats a little bit. Like, like we have all these things, and then we go like, all right, I can go, I can just go somewhere else. And what happens there is, guys, look, it, it never builds a community to where the watching world can watch love that is put on display because it's most beautifully displayed when there's sacrifice. Are you following me? So, like, please do not hear me. Please, please do not hear that. I'm saying, hey, you should never leave your church. No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying we've gotta be aware of what's at play in our culture and how that could possibly hinder the movement of God. I mean, I think, I think a better picture of a church is kind of like, um, you know, holiday gathering with extended family, right? It's just kind of weird, isn't it? You got Uncle Joe that brings their, you know, floozy girlfriend that he has this year, and Aunt Jane's always gossiping about something or someone, or, you know, Cousin Mary shows up in some kind of weird outfit, and now she's into this, and, and Grandma thinks everything's wonderful. And it's like, do you not see what's happening here? And just, this, this family's a train wreck, right? <laughs> but look, look, yeah, it's weird, but most of us probably wouldn't say we're gonna skip Thanksgiving and Christmas, and actually, we're gonna, we're gonna go down the road. I've noticed this house down the road, and they seem like they have a really good time. We're just gonna show up there one Christmas and say, hey, we don't know each other, but it looks awesome. We're coming in, right? <laughs> you wouldn't do that. Why? Because they're not your family. They're not your family. And so look, look, this is, like I'm not saying this because we got like a mass accident. It's not that at all. I'm just trying to speak into a reality that's within our culture. And I'm trying to say like, look, man, when the gospel gets in us, there is a, a way in which we learn how to humble ourselves and sacrifice before one another and defer before one another. And when we do that over a long period of time, there's a love that's put on display. And I want that love to be put on display here because I want, why? More and more people to know about Jesus. Get it out. Get it in. So Lyle, if, if we work hard toward this over the next 12 months or next three years, whatever God has for us, of getting it out and getting it in, what's kind of the end result. What, what, what are you looking for? I'll give you a few. One, I want us to be messier. I know it sounds really weird, but if we're really getting this gospel out, that's speaking to people that are broken and have messy lives like all of us in this room, then they're gonna come in here and it's just gonna get messy. Like we say this often, I don't want brokenness to be the exception. I want it to be the norm. And if it's gonna be the norm, then that means this place is gonna get a little messy, right? If you're really getting the gospel in, I would argue that your life may get messier. I think we have a really kind of jacked up Western mindset towards spiritual maturity. We think spiritual maturity means my life is gonna get more put together. Well, 
<laughs> okay, that's nice. And maybe that's really encouraging for you. But I'm just gonna say, I don't know. Because as the spirit of God works in you, I would say you probably are gonna see your life being a little more messier. Because there's gonna be things you see in you that you didn't see 20 years ago. And actually you might say, man, I wish I was 25 again. My life was a whole lot less messy, right? Yeah, sometimes mess is because of bad stewardship and sin, but sometimes mess is the work of the spirit of God. And so if this message is getting out and getting in, we're not gonna be all tidy. We're not gonna be all nice and put together and bows on top and everybody's, ah, right? We're not, it's, I don't know what aha means, but we're not. We might be a little more messier. And for some of you, honestly, that might kind of offend you and you may not like that. Okay. I'm really okay with that. Because I genuinely want to be a place for those who are broken. I want to be a place for those that are possibly here right now who have aborted a child. And they don't feel condemnation but they feel space to where they can go and weep and confess and say, gosh, please help me. I'm a mess. So I want to be messier. I want us to, I mean, this doesn't sound real exciting, but I pray that we grow in sacrifice. Like God matures us through our own sacrificing and sacrificing includes a ton of things. Some of that is our own giving, generosity and our own finance. It really is, guys. And then some of that is our time and how we serve. I want to, change the whole mindset of serving here in our culture and in our, specifically in our church culture, that, that it's not just what I do or I have to do, but no, it's part of how God matures me. And yeah, it's a sacrifice to go back there and wipe butts and noses. It sure is, but it's also a joy. And it's also a means by which God matures you and grows you. So yeah, I wanna, I sacrifice this, this, this spirit of like, yeah, I wanna grow and that means I'm gonna sacrifice. I'm gonna continue to defer, <laughs> and sacrifice my own preferences because I love the gospel and I love you. And I wanna keep this relationship. And then lastly, I, I pray that we laugh a lot. I pray that a spirit of joy and delight continues to permeate all that we do here. And that we see that, hey, our, our God is a God of joy and he takes pleasure when his kids delight. And I think we step out, get it out, get it in. I think part of the fruit of that is we will. We'll be a delightful people. Let's pray together.